So we're going to continue now, actually, in our time in the words. So I'm going to see if this next. So we've got a few weeks left in this study we're doing called Next. It's the study of the book of Joshua. Joshua is an interesting book in the Bible because it comes toward the beginning of the Bible. If you know, it's in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, right? But it's, it's one of these books that tells us about the coming of age of the people of God. It's about this culmination of a promise, and I want you to remember that this morning. I got a chance to, to listen to Steve's message last week, and it was awesome to hear that journey from where Micah or Judah is to where we, we become as mature followers of Jesus. It's somehow, by God's grace, he leads us to the promised land. That's the miracle of following Christ. Not that we can look, and oh, look what we did ourselves, but how he never failed us along the way. The really wild thing about Joshua is that it started with a promise to Abram. You probably know him as Abraham, but the promised land being inherited by Joshua, and I would even say this morning, the promised land being inherited by you and by me began with Abram. And it says this, he traveled to a land he did not yet know. He just followed God into an unknown place. And we talked this morning, many people here are beginning that journey in some way, or maybe continuing that journey in some way, being challenged in, in what maybe we should be doing on this earth, God's purposes for us here. I don't know what your childhood was like. I want to share a story of my childhood. I, did you guys, anybody have brothers and sisters? Yeah? Anybody, only children? Any only children here this morning? Only child. Are you serious? Thank you, Allie Kramer. I thought I was the only, only child here this morning, Allie. I was like, what the heck? Yeah. I was an only child. Did you guys get along with your siblings? I can tell you when I was a little kid, I used to lay in my bed. I had a bunk bed. There's something funny about giving an only child a bunk bed, <laughs> you know? I think, I don't know if it's wishful thinking by my parents. I just lay on the bottom bunk at the top. I said, one of the brother up there. I had these imaginings of, of late night conversations or of getting up in the morning. And do, did you all get along really well with your brothers and sisters? <laughs> See, when you're an only child, you can imagine it'd be like that, you know, because I got along pretty well with myself. But you know what's funny? One of my childhood memories whenever I was, uh, I was a little kid is uh, I had a lot of cousins around. I, I, my grandparents had a farm, and my mom was a single mom. Many of you know that about me. And, and so we would, I would get to go to grandma's on the farm. And it was a fun place. We'd do all kind of crazy things on the farm. But I remember this. As much as we loved to hang out together, and we loved to hang out, and we would, like, ride motorcycles. We would, like, you know, chase cats. We would, like, aggravate the goats. I mean, we would do whatever, you know. It was a farm. You know, we used to do all kinds. We almost tipped over a forklift one time. Yes, there was a forklift on the farm, you know. And uh, we had all these great adventures. But invariably, invariably, we would get on each other's nerves. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you first get the BB guns out, you think this is going to be a fun day shooting stuff, and it ends up a bad day shooting each other right? Um, or breaking windows, you know, you start throwing rocks at cans, next thing you're breaking windows. Well, my, my, my memories about being a child is this. There was a tipping point in our relationship that day, <laughs> any day, when we'd be out playing together, having a great time, and then 
someone would just get a little too aggressive. Someone would be a little too macho, a little too much testosterone. And all of a sudden, there'd be a fist fight. Anybody have fist fights with your brother or sister? I'm talking. It starts gently, and it gets more violent, and all this and that. And there comes a point when someone's going to kill someone else. And you know what? You, what do you do if you're the one that's going to get killed? That was usually me, by the way. I end up somehow on the short end of that stick. You know what you'd do? Run to the house. Anybody else ever run to the house? Some of you guys are like, really? You ran to the house? I did, man. I ran to the house. I ran to the house. Like, I would fight until I was really, really going to lose. Like, it will be bleeding and stuff. But then at that point, I'm running to the house. You know what I mean? And you go to the, you, you mom talking about the race to the front door of grandma's house? Anybody have that race to the front door of grandma's house? And then the person usually who's instigating is like, don't tell, don't tell. And you're like, I'm going to tell that. You know, that was me. I'm sorry that wasn't you and then you run in and you grab that door and you know there's a moment you got to time it because just getting to the door we play a game in our house um i don't know it's like first person to touch the door wins first person to get to the house wins but really when you're playing like no rules with your friends uh you you got to get in the house to be safe <laughs> you know what i mean like, getting to the door and not getting it open and inside is just a way to get your butt kicked on the steps <laughs> right? And so there's this moment where you would just go, I got, a, I got, I was pretty fast. I got a half a second and you would pull the door and you would be, and you're like, I'm inside. And then sometimes if it was a really heated dispute, the inside wasn't safe enough. You'd have to run. And my grandpa, he used to be upstairs and my grandma was downstairs. So you had to pick your, you know, the funny thing was this. If you went upstairs to grandpa, everybody's going to get in trouble. You know what I mean? The first guy in the door is going to get in trouble. The last guy in the door is going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble for slamming the door, making noise, running in the house, breaking stuff on the way, because we always broke stuff on the way. Uh, you're gonna get, everybody's going to get in trouble. But if you ran to grandma, you could find safety. You know? And my poor grandma, I tell you, she was such a sweetheart, but she'd be down there and she'd be making lunch or making whatever. And I'd go, and then, then this whole thing would happen, you know, just running around. And she's like, you two, stop it. It was my cousin and me usually doing that. And uh, then we would all make up. That's what would happen. But there was safety in grandma's house. And it's a funny thing because uh, that's what we're going to talk about today with the people of God. We're going to look at, at, at God's provision for safety for his people. It's a funny thing. We talk about the promised land and what's coming and milk and honey and all that stuff. But today, God's word says something about his desire for us to be safe. So I'm going to ask that you would pray with me as we always do when we open the word of God. We ask for his inspire, inspiration to understand it. We have no knowledge of our own. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me if you would, and we're going to open the word. Father God, today I give you thanks and praise for you are a God of safety. You are a God who gives us a place to run to. And I pray, Father God, that all of us would know that today, wherever we're coming from, that we would know that in our hearts. I pray, Father God, that you would teach us what you'd have us to know by the power of your Holy Spirit. That it would not be... Um, something we've manifested of ourselves, Father God, but only you. The knowledge that would be shared here would be only you. I pray you would uh, give me the, the gift, the ability to speak it well, Father, to understand your word, and that you would have all of us here learn to apply it in our lives each day. May we trust you with this time and everything in our life. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So we're gonna look at Joshua chapter 20 today. And uh, we are nearing the end of this series. Joshua chapter 20. It's on page 160 if you use one of our Bibles and the tables in the middle. And I'm just going to read through it. It's a pretty short chapter. And then uh, we're going to talk through some, some principles we find here. 
This is what the word says. Then the Lord, by the way, that's Yahweh, right, uh, said to Joshua, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed through Moses so that anyone who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When he flees to one of these cities, he is to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state his case before the elders of that city. Then they are to admit him into their city and give him a place to live with them. If the avenger of blood pursues him, they must not surrender the one accused because he killed his neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. He is to stay in that city until he has stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at the time. Then he may go back to his own home in the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, Kiriath Araba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. On the east side of the Jordan of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the desert of the plateau of the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. Any of the Israelites or any alien living among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly, right? I want to remind you where we are. In case you've missed a few weeks, um, the last two weeks we talked about allocation, really. And last week, Steve expounded on um, um, Caleb and his allocation. But also, two weeks ago, I explained all, allocation of all the land, right? Three weeks ago, we said the land had rest from war. Had rest from war. And it strikes me as interesting that as soon as the fighting is over, as soon as the land is allocated to the people, as soon as the heroes are recognized, there's this moment where God says, okay, now, the next time there's trouble, we're going to have a plan. See, many times when we, we follow God, we believe, you know, that um, it's going to be all roses, right? I mean, many people do that, and they begin to follow Jesus in their life, and it gets hard or difficult, and they go, this isn't what was promised, is it? It's striking to me that here in Joshua chapter 20, we have God set up cities of refuge almost as soon as they take possession of the land. It's like the first order of business, how you deal with each other fairly, or more, like, more accurately, how you deal with each other justly. So the title today is Justice, but I want to take just a second before we jump into actually expounding on this, and I want to talk about justice for a minute. Justice is an issue that can get us in a lot of trouble as people of God. I'm convinced it's the root issue for so many of us because we don't understand what justice looks like. I was so blessed last week. Uh, didn't really have a chance to collaborate with Steve much, and I heard him several times in his sermon last week say that it doesn't seem fair, but it seems just. That's what it's like to deal with God. It's just. It's right. And many times whether we're believers in God or whether we're not believers in God, we get this wrong and we think that justice is our idea. What we think is just. What we think is right. But I want you to see here the very first thing in, in chapter 20, I want you to read it. And we sang a song today. We said, hallelujah. Do you know what that means? Hallelujah. It means praise Yah. And Yah is short for Yahweh. 
So when you're singing hallelujah, you're saying praise Yahweh. And that Yahweh is the same that right here speaks to Joshua. It says, the Lord Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, I say that to you all the time, said to Joshua. Yahweh said to Joshua. The thing I want to point out before we jump into this idea of justice, what we find here, and how we can apply it to our own lives is this, that the whole concept of justice is God's idea. It's God's idea. So many times when I talk to people about their faith in God or their lack of faith in God, their problems are rooted in the idea that they look down on God. I can tell you there's nowhere in Scripture I found that it says that. There's no place in Scripture I find that it says that we are beyond God's understanding, that we can see the totality of who He is. Today, one of the songs that we sang said, Mysterious and Unknown about the God we worship. Too many times we, 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 we get it to where we're comfortable. We make God comfortable for ourselves as if we can look at him and, and this manifests in all kind of ways we've been talking about. That we can manipulate God. That we can pray for our will to be done. That we can force his hand. And never more um, tragically than where we think we understand justice when the reality is that justice is God's idea. Yahweh said to Joshua, let's have justice in the kingdom. Let's have justice in the promised land. And that's what I want to set up first of all, is that you and I understand fully that God is a dispenser of justice, that he is just by definition, and that these are his ideas. Now, the truth is, like I said to you, we get ourselves in trouble when we begin to judge God, and that's what it is, right? I mean, people will just out and out say that. I won't follow a God like X, Y, Z. Because we begin to think it's a fundamental sin. Remember in the garden, you'll be like God if you taste this fruit. That's the first thing. All right, so here we go. Picking up. Verse 1, read with me. Then the Lord Yahweh said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed through Moses. By the way, a little side note here. If you want to check out the designation, it's in Numbers 35. I'm not going to turn there today, but this, it's enumerated Numbers 35. It says right there what the plan is when Moses is there. Verse 3, read with me. So that anyone who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. I want to explain a few things about this, right? I made, a, I made a conversation about, you know, us beating each other up and being bloody, and, you know, no one killed each other. That was always the risk, it seemed, you know. Um, but this was real. I mean, God wasn't saying when you're just being mean to each other. It's like when it gets, like, to, to life and death situations, right, I have a plan for you. I have a plan for you. And the first thing that we see right here, and I want you to see all of this in verse 3, so that anyone who kills a person, that means someone actually died. It doesn't mean you, it means they really died from it, that, that you can find protection from the avenger of blood. This title we're going to see a couple times in this text today, but the avenger of blood was not a bad person. Don't make that mistake. The idea was that only blood can make up for shedding of blood. That, as a matter of fact, there was a prohibition. Some people want to do what's called blood money. And that was that if, if I did something wrong to your family, I could buy my way out of it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to kill your son. 
here's some cash. And God said, no. Number 35, it says, do not take money for blood ever. Only the avenger of blood can have it. So it was a person who was designated to make things right. So when this avenger, you see it says here, when this avenger is coming after the person accused, they're doing what's right in God's economy, avenging the price that was paid by someone else. This is justice, by the way. Well, look with me in verse 3. Here's what the word says, and this is what I want the first principle that we have today, is that you have to flee to the city of refuge. You have to run to get there, right? And in our own lives, I don't know if you've had trouble. I hope none of you have killed someone, maybe. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. But if there's something in your life that you have done this wrong, our call, like these, these folks who were accused, was to run to the city of refuge, to get there as quick as you possibly can. It's interesting. These um, cities were set up all over the promised land, but your job was to leave. You, see, you heard at the end of the text today, didn't you? You can then go home later, but you can't stay home. You've got to get to where God has your solution. He's made provision for you and for me. And the idea is that we should run to him. We should run to the solutions. We should run to that place. It was a gift to his people. It was not meant to be a punishment. It was meant to be a, a, way, a way through it. It's the first thing that he makes provision for, and we should run to God. You know, uh, sometimes people get upset. I've heard this said before. People get upset, and they say, why do you get so excited about spiritual matters? Other people say, why aren't you more excited about spiritual matters, you know? And uh, it reminds me of when something's going wrong, how long do you wait to find the solution for it, you know? Like, do, do you kind of hunker down and hope it passes, or, or do you look for provisions that God has made for you and run to them? One guy said it this way. He said, if you're in the house and the house is burning down, you're going to scream fire and you're going to get out, Right? You're not going to be like, oh, hey, the house is on fire. I'll hang out for a while. You're going to book it. You're going to get to safety. The same idea here. You're in trouble, serious trouble. And the, and the idea is that we should run to God's solution. He provides it for us. So my first question for you is, is um, on your sheet there. And ask the, when you're in trouble in your life, do you tend to run toward God or away from him? Because they're both options. And, and, and the reality is that if you're running away from God, there is no destination that's particularly safe for you. You're just booking, you're hoping. We talked about that before. But or are you running toward God? And I almost think, and maybe I'm wrong here at church, but I almost think that there, in our nature, we have a tendency to run from God, not toward him. P people say to me all the time, if you only knew. And the implication isn't about if I only knew what was going on, but if God only knew, I would, be, I would be hopelessly lost. The reality is that we're called to run toward God. And as a matter of fact, the more crisis-oriented the situation, the more devastating, the more profound, the faster we should be running toward God with our problems, not away from him. I want to remind you, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, after they sinned, they ran away. From, they didn't go to God and say, hey, we screwed up. We ate that thing we weren't supposed to. 
right? Can you make provision for us? There's something you, they were like, they hid themselves. They covered up. They pretended. They did not run to God for his solution for them. So the question is, and we all find ourselves in trouble, but where do, what do we do? Do we run toward God? I want to encourage you today to run toward God when you're in a crisis. Always, always seeking his safety. Read with me, picking up in verse Four, when he flees to one of these cities, he is to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state his case before the elders of that city. Then they are to admit him into the city and give him a place to live with them. That's interesting. If they give him a place to, oh, if the avenger of blood pursues him, listen now, they must not surrender the one accused because he killed his neighbor unintentionally without malice or forethought. He is to stay in that city until he has stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who was serving at that time. Then he might go back to his own home in the town from which he fled. I'm going to read on. Listen to what the word says, Seven. They set apart. I'm not going to read these again. I'm just going to look with me, if you will. There's six cities named here. Kadesh is the first one. Shechem is the second one. Uh, Kirith Arabah, which is Hebron, is the third. And then you go to the other side of Jordan. Um, let's see here. It's Bezer, Ramoth, and Golan. Right? Interesting to me that there were six cities. Do you remember how many allocations there were of tribes? Anybody remember? Twelve. Right? Twelve Areas were allocated to the Israelites in the promised land. It was divided into 12 parcels for the people of God. But six cities were provided. Look at it. Three on one side and three on the other. And I think that what struck me about this is that uh, every, it was always within reach. Right? I mean, you had to go somewhere special. You couldn't stay where you were. You had to run the God solution. But you could get there. As a matter of fact, whenever I studied this this week, uh, these roads, these places, these cities were so important to the Israelites that they built roads that led to these cities first. And they didn't just build roads that regulation, you know how we have like two lanes? They built four lanes. They built them twice as wide as they needed to be, and they made them as smooth and straight as possible because they wanted every person, now listen to me, every person who was in crisis to have a chance to get to refuge. There were even signs along the way that would say, safety this way, refuge this way, help is this way. And if you were in trouble, you keep looking at those signs, you keep running down that road until you got to the city gates. Did you hear what happens when you get to the city gates? You plead your case. You say, I'm in trouble, I got a mess going on, and I need it inside. Will you help me? And they were obligated to let you in and to give you sanctuary or safety. The truth is that for us, safety is within our reach. Refuge and help is within our reach. And we have that same opportunity in our lives. I, I want to point out, too, that in verse 5, it actually says that there's an obligation. It says, if the avenger of blood pursues that person, they must not surrender the accused. That means when you were there and you were in sanctuary, that city would fight for you. That city would die for you. And that's pretty profound. You're a stranger. This isn't your kin. These are strangers. That they would give their lives that you would not be unjustly killed. 
I find that really interesting that you would be in these communities and you would find refuge there. You would come to the door and you'd say, man, this is a mess. I got myself in a real mess this time. I need help. And these strangers would open their home, open their city, close the gate behind you and say, you're safe. Why? Because God said so. God said, this is a safe place for you. Some people believe I'll never get there. Man, the stuff I've done, I'll never find safety. I'll never find hope. I'll never find help. But the truth is that God makes provision for you and for me, and he makes it within our reach. Right? I told you the, the road is wide and flat. You know? Jesus was talking about himself, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I got to tell you, that's a, people would call it a narrow gate. That's a narrow gate going through Jesus. But man, Jesus made this road wide for us. I don't know if you're like me, but man, a sinner, a mess. And there were these signs going, find help this way. Find refuge this way. Run this way. Go to this door and plead. Truth is that that road for you and for me is just as wide and just as open. And and maybe right now you're being asked that. Uh, question, will you take it? Will you run that way with your problems? My question, though, is this. When was the last time you pled your case to God? A lot of times we think about pleading our case. We think about it like a lawyer in a courtroom, you know. I'm going to prove why I'm okay, why I'm right. And even this kind of passage does that, Right? You're going to prove you're wrongfully accused, innocent, until proven guilty. That's kind of a vibe you get here from this text, right? There will be justice, but I'm going to get a fair shake at it. Pleading our case to God is a little different. In the Bible, the word is confession. And it says that when we run to him, to his refuge, to his city gate, when we show up at the door, we just admit to God what he already knows to be true about ourselves. It's not about making ourselves holy or right or pure before him. And that's the trouble because we believe we have to do that. We think, man, if I, if I go to God, I got to be right first. I got to have my stuff together first. God knows you right where you are. And he knows me right where I am. And the beautiful thing, and I told you about this before, confession just means lining things up with what God already knows to be true. You're speaking words. The word says that God knows every word on our tongue before we speak it. He knows every word we're going to say before we think it. And yet we run around hiding, pretending we don't have to find safety in him. (laughs) Favorite images from that house whenever I was growing up, they had these velvet Jesuses. Do you all ever have a velvet Jesus in anybody's house? Yeah? Velvet Jesus. There was like, uh, there was no velvet Ellis's. There was only velvet Jesus's in Grandma and Grandpa's house. But there was one that was in their spare bedroom and had a little light on it at night. And it was Jesus in front of a door. He was like this. I believe the words of him like, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens that door, I come in. I mean, that's how serious God is about giving us safety, about making it accessible to you and me. Some people say, oh, well, it's not fair. Uh, it's, it's fair, right? It's just. We've had a chance to receive Christ. We've had a chance to confess our sin. We've had a chance to admit. And that's all it is. 
agreeing with God. Man, you get to that gate, you've been running, you're like, God, I screwed up. And you know what? People say, oh, I can't. how do you pray like that? You pray like, I don't know what. I don't know what I'm doing, Lord. I, I got this problem I can't deal with anymore. I need safety. I need help. That's a real prayer. Not the people on the corner praying the right words, but the people who are desperate for God to save them. That's a real prayer. I hope that you and I can continue or maybe begin for the first time pleading our case before the holy God of the universe. And the last point I'm going to make today is this. In the end, everyone sees justice. Everyone sees justice. Truth was, in, in, uh, in verse 6, uh, it says that you can stay in that city until you stood trial before the assembly and then until the death of the high priest. That was a protection over you. A couple of ideas. One, one is that the high priest was such, such a big deal in the community that when he died, people forget who did wrong to who. I mean, who could, who could be upset when the priest dies? Who, who can hold a grudge once the priest dies? I was so mad at you for my brother, my mother, my sister, you know, whatever it is, my kid. I was so mad at you. But then this priest died, and I, how can I be mad at you anymore about it? And so at that point, you could go back to your home, and no one want to kill you. It's like, it's, it's over. But justice was served. Because if you ran to that city of refuge, and you were found, and read number 35, if you were found to be malicious in your intent, if you were intentionally hurting someone else, intentionally killing someone else, guilty, you'd have to pay the price. You'd have to pay the price. One other thing that's interesting about the city refuge, by the way, is you had to stay there. And if you got claustrophobic, if you got kind of pent up and you decided to make a run for it, you were fair game again. The avenger could come and take you. Well, in the end, everyone, who see, everyone sees justice, including the avenger of blood. He sees justice done. And the same is true for you and for me I'm convinced, if there's anything I'm convinced of, and let me, if there's anything I'm convinced of about the God of the universe is this. At the end of our life, at the eternal threshold, at the door at the end, when we're coming into the next, whatever's next, the kingdom of God, we will see justice. I think the biggest self-deception is we say, we're gonna get there, we're gonna be like, this ain't right. I think we're gonna know. You know, in that spirit, in your being right now, where you know righteousness, you're gonna know this is just. No matter what, justice will be served. It's offered to everyone, by the way, in verse 9, any of the Israelites or any alien living among them can find refuge from the avenger of blood. Anyone, anyone can find it. And then lastly, only... Only blood made that right. Right? My final question for you today, because see, justice is coming. You know? I mean, right now, you got some stuff in your life that you're pretty upset about. I don't know, do you? I do. Some stuff in the world that makes you mad, gets you frustrated, makes you want to quit your job and go change things. <laughs> Call the authorities, get somebody involved. The truth is that justice is coming for all creation. And my final question for us today is this. 
Are we willing to wait for God's justice? That's a consistent theme in the Bible. Will you wait for God? Or do you want to exact your justice now? You see, God has made provision for us in Christ. And the truth is that everything we've heard today from Joshua about refuge is true of Jesus. That he makes a way for us to find safety. And uh, not the least of which is this. When we realize that the priest has died, how could we be angry anymore? When Christ died on the cross, he was the great high priest and he gave his life for you and for me. He gave it to give us sanctuary and hope and he gave it for all the stuff that you're afraid to talk to God about. I mean, he, that's what he died for. He died for all that stuff that you're afraid to talk to God about. And today, if you don't believe that or if you don't know that, I would encourage you to trust him. I would encourage you to seek him. I would encourage you to get that door open it up and run inside and say, I need help because he will provide it. Please pray with me if you would. Father, today uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for provision uh, and what we'd expect to be promised land, uh, good and nourishing land. Uh, your people are still there and there's still a tendency toward evil. We all have it in us, the evil inside, Father. I pray that you would continue to give us rest and hope. I pray, Father God, that if we need to run to you, give us strength to make it to that gate, to find our rest in you. I pray that in everything, you be glorified and we would rest in you. We would find our fulfillment of our life in your presence. And we give you thanks and glory because we've tasted and seen, we've known a little already. And we only long for that day of full reconciliation with you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.